Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined back from Italy by Matt Two rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Buongiorno, Spanners. Oh, look at you, all fresh from holiday, all excited and happy. You've you've cleansed your palate and you've cleansed your soul. You actually seem like you're in a in a much better mood. Yeah, it won't last long. Don't worry. Okay, good. Back to grumpy trumpets as soon as possible. And I don't want you to be at all put out by the fact that while you were in Italy, I did a Matthew Carter show that you love being involved in. And I, I booked that for when you were on holiday. Yep. Uh, I also uh, stole possibly the last Matthew Summerfield tech show. So I'm basically the tech expert now. Yeah. Uh, I also replaced the tire talk that you normally do by getting in a substitute tire expert while you were away. Yeah, as an actual expert. So thank you. So if you're feeling unwanted in like any way, shape or form, I think that's justified and I can't do anything to make you feel better. Sorry, Matt. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's about what I've come to expect around here. So the lesson is never go on holiday again because you're expendable. Yeah, well, you could have not bothered because I'm currently paying the bills from that holiday and I can guarantee you it's going to be a long time before I leave town again. Right. And you can find out about Matt's holiday and other stuff, which we chatted about in great detail on our patron only podcast. And we do need you to be a patron and help us survive because we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. 
We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm also joined in the shed by the edgy and suave Kyle Power. How's it going, Kyle? Very well, Spanners. Slightly delicate, but looking forward to getting stuck into some testing reviews. Oh, no. Have you succumbed to some kind of illness? Are you feeling symptoms from maybe chronic pain? What's the matter, Kyle? Tell us. I definitely need to self-isolate for at least two weeks. Uh, No, wedding yesterday. Not feeling clever today, shall we say. Okay. Before anyone panics, this is this is reasonably normal. Kyle, last time you came on, you were like, oh, I've got, I want to talk for eight hours about uh, two-stroke engines. I said, no, no, no. It should be its own show. And I asked for 15 emails or tweets for support. Uh, we got, in the end, something like 75 to 80 people get in touch. And where is it, dude? Where's the two-stroke podcast? Working on it. I'm going to save it for a quiet time. I, I need to pull my finger out, get hold of Matt, and hopefully try and drag Summers into it as well. We will do it. Just patience, patience. It please. was January and March. There is no quieter time on the F1 calendar, although we might have some spaces in the calendar soon. So you might need to bring that show to the front quicker than you think. And welcome to the shed, to the deputy editor of Race Car Engineer, and former Manor Racing and Pirelli Sport engineer as well. Uh, welcome, Gemma Hatton. No. I'm both delighted and upset uh, when I when I found out that you used to work for Pirelli, because on the plus side, we'll get great tyre info. On the downside, it's going to set Matt off talking about tyres. <laughs> okay. Did someone yeah. say tyres? <laughs> it, started, it started already. Uh, just briefly, actually, explain. Uh, what was it you did for Pirelli? So Pirelli, I was an F1 uh, trackside engineer and essentially every Formula One team has one um, trackside engineer and one tyre fitter. And I was a trackside engineer for Manor Racing for the 2016 season. Um, And then I moved to Manor as their junior tyre engineer, which basically meant I was the only tyre engineer, but they got to pay me less. Oh, so everyone wins then. Oh, yes. that's okay. That's fantastic. Uh, in that case, uh, you have some fantastic knowledge right at the coal face and the interface between uh, Pirelli and the team. So believe me, we're going to get into some more of that later, particularly when we start talking about Racing Point. But first, let's find out what's going on with the big dirty news. Big dirty news. It's been incredibly busy. The F1 news machine is in full force. Uh, Ferrari and the FIA came out with a non-announcement for their power unit. We'll definitely be delving into that. I want to know if I was right to get on the Red Bull hype train. Are Mercedes giving everyone hope with some reliability chinks in their armour? Are Racing Point going to be able to play with their shiny new toy properly? Did they get a proper instruction manual from the supplier a little bit of drive to survive and where the Gunter aha is going to be in 2020 but Matt we're starting now to see a general kind of group think a narrative of where the teams are let's before we get into individual teams and topics uh, where do you think we are in general you know particularly with the top teams well, unlike last year, I think where we are is it's pretty much agreed upon Mercedes is well ahead of everybody else. That's one thing that seems to be agreed upon. There are some reliability concerns that have been raised. They've had some issues with the power units over the six days of testing. Uh, but on the whole, they are you know 
three tenths to five tenths up on everybody else, wicked fast. And, you know, it, it looks from that point of view, it may be another Hamilton versus Valtteri contest. Wow, you think three tenths? I mean, that is significant. When you say, when you bandy about figures like this, obviously lap times are largely irrelevant. But when you say three tenths, do you mean out and out qualifying pace or are we talking lap by lap in the race? Uh, I, I'm talking more race pace. Wow. Because. Because that's that's sort of that's sort of what I see go by, but you know it's testing. So we're getting some great comments in a, an already very busy chat room, and uh, Eric says, "Please, no drive to survive spoilers." Yeah, it's quite early, isn't it? Drive to survive dropped on Friday, so we've watched a few map, but I don't think we're going to go too deep into it this week. No, 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 no. We'll we'll, we'll save that for a separate time when everyone's had a chance to catch up, yes. including me. Everybody email me and tell me when you've finished all the episodes, and we will talk about that a little bit later. But uh, if Mercedes are you know, disappearing at the rate of three-tenths a lap, that's kind of bad news for everyone. But where do we see uh, the rest of the F1 grid? Um, I think there's general consensus that Red Bull is second. And where it starts to get interesting is a lot of people are now suggesting that Ferrari might even be behind Racing Point. And, and I'm not sure... I'm on that particular ship, but it may well be in qualifying that they are able to out-qualify Ferrari in certain places. In race pace, I'm definitely not convinced, Uh, but qualifying will be the interesting test for them. And this is where this year is much different to last year or the year before, where if you were following testing, you were following like the live ticker from Auto Motor Unsport. Yes, you may drink or motorsport.com or, you know one of those. Whereas now we have a full-on Sky commentary team telling us what to think about everything that's happening on the telly while we're watching. Uh, Carl, you were shaking your head about the racing point having made it into the top three. I'll just quickly say that in the chat room, Darren Johnson has made the comment that surely Drive to Survive spoilers was basically the 2019 season. Yeah, that's a good point. We can't ruin the 2019 season for you. Uh, Kyle, do do you agree with that general kind of order uh, that there's been this kind of groupthink consensus that Racing Point have like perforated the top three, certainly a best of the rest already. I love how they've just hand, been handed the crown. But yeah, people starting to say they're above Ferrari. That's where I start to go, bit of a stretch. Yeah, same here. Um, I don't agree with that. I actually think Ferrari are being quite wily here, kind of... Um you know, sort of undersell yourself, over-deliver type style. They got bitten quite hard yesterday, uh, yesterday, last year even, um, and they ended up with egg on their faces. There's a lot of pressure coming from Italy. So I think they're being very, very careful with how they're pitching themselves. And also, they seem very happy to say that they're not very quick. It seems a bit unlike them. They seem more than happy to say we're not very fast. So I actually think they're pretty quick. I think they're almost on par with Red Bull. I believe Mercedes is a little bit ahead. But also Red Bull, there's lots of rumours about them backing off on their fastest laps. And yeah, yeah. so I don't believe that at all. I think Ferrari are two, second or third in the order. We'll, we'll do a deep dive into all the teams after this. But I, th- I know Matt's going to give us a little bit of a rundown of how some of the long runs uh, went. Uh, let's go to Gemma for a second, though. You understand a little bit more about how these tyres work. And I think importantly, how the, the teams use the tyres. Do you ever have a, a little bit of a giggle of everybody to c- coming to these conclusions about the teams and their pace and you go yeah but they had the b5 spec tire on the right i don't really understand tires but 
Yeah. And I think everyone is very quick to jump on the timing sheets during testing. And I think you can learn a lot from where teams are ranking, but you do need to remember in it is just testing. But this year, because the track conditions have been pretty good for Barcelona in the winter, you know, um, we've had there hasn't been that much cold graining. I think the tests this year have been much more representative compared to last year or the year before when I think it was snowing and the temperatures were really cold and stuff. So I think if you can judge anything from um, a test, it's probably this year. So uh, we have a mixture in our audience of very seasoned F1 fans, but we also get a lot of people kind of saying uh, a lot of the phrases and terminology fly over their head. So whilst I'm not going to labour it, I am occasionally going to stop our expert panel when they say a thing and just say, can you quickly explain to me what graining is? Because thinking about it, I don't think I actually know. Please, no one judge me. Um, Okay, so graining is essentially... Um, you imagine a tire, it's got a lot of lateral force going on it. It's being dragged around a, um, you know, a track. And when the surface of the rubber has overheated, bits of tire basically tear off and they roll along the tire. And then you end up with this sort of, uh, sort of speckled pattern on the surface of the tire. And that basically wears the tire as well. So that's kind of graining in a nutshell. Oh, okay, so because the, the, the surface has changed, you can't get as much of a good contact because you've got these grains. But it's different to tyre wear. Graining, I guess, can can cure? Uh, yeah, well, we did have one, um, I think it was Abu Dhabi when I was at Manor. And essentially, because you've got these ridges, because of this speckled pattern on the surface, like you say, you've got a much reduced contact patch. Um, and actually, we were telling the drivers to push harder in the corners to wear through that graining so you could actually gain a bit of grip. So normally with graining, your grip drop drops off, but it can come back um, a little bit as well. Tell you what, Matt, this is, this is good, isn't it? Some proper insight into tyres instead of, I don't know, what you normally do. Yes. Well, the moment she said cold graining, I was like, oh, yes, oh, this is my kind of podcast. <laughs> oh, no. Right. Audience, don't panic. OK, it's my job to limit this. OK, so, Matt, looking at testing times and looking, uh, perhaps the, the headline figures can be misleading. You have to translate it for tire compound. And then the teams are doing all kinds of things to disguise their true pace. I got the feeling from you that you think we can tell a little bit more from the long runs and obviously we can caveat that until the cows come home but what are your observations from the long runs like the race simulations well i'm being very specific here about race simulations on day six that's that to me is as close as we're going to get to a a look at where people are and the reason is because they're going to be fueled i'm making the assumption they're all fueled for a full race so they're going to have probably between 100 110 kilograms of fuel so they're not going to be playing games like you know low fuel glory runs like certain alpha teams might have done around wednesday or thereabouts you're going to get a reasonable look at what kind of pace they're going to have in a race and we were very fortunate that at f1 debrief on twitter took the time to compile all of these numbers on Twitter, which is where I found them. And I spent some time chucking them into a spreadsheet uh, and we had... Yeah. And and now Matt is going to just read them all out verbatim without any breaths or gaps. Okay. No, I mean, we're not. The lap times are largely irrelevant, but what, what have you gleaned from it? Well, the most interesting thing is really the tension between what you see in the numbers and what you have people at the track telling you. 
So for Ferrari, uh, we had Leclerc uh, being the fastest in his race sim compared to Perez, who averaged about 1.188 seconds back. Sainz was a little bit faster. He was 0.956 seconds back. Kvyat was way far off, relatively. He's almost two seconds off. And then the interesting one to me was Grosjean. He was actually less than a second off in his race sim. But there are going to be some caveats. One, they didn't all happen at the same time of day, so we could have different track temperatures making a difference. Two, you can still play some games. Like, for example, I'm going to lift a little on the straight. I might not use DRS every time. And three, especially with the Haas number, he only completed 52 laps, and he came in three minutes before the checkered flag. So they might have been pretty significantly short-fueled because they would have known when they started they wouldn't have been able to complete a full simulation before they ran out of time. So with that one especially, you got to pay a little attention. You might have to do some weight adjusting, which I didn't have time to do in order to get a more accurate figure. Kyle, I, I don't know. I, I look at those figures and I just go, we can't, we can't tell. We can't tell anything from that. Um, and the teams who are kind of gently leaking out their opinions or narrative, uh, as Matt calls it, have much more of an idea of what the other teams are doing. I mean, certainly the headline one there is, you know, has being really on the pace would be a surprise at this point. Yeah. You also have to consider that particularly a team like Haas and all of the um, the rich energy debacle of last year, they're probably quite keen to get some more sponsorship. So they know that there's geeks around like us who are going to be looking at this, um, looking at these datas and long runs and then going to be writing articles and talking on podcasts that Haas are looking really strong in race pace. That might attract some sponsors. They'd, they'd like that rumor out there. So they might have underfueled on purpose. They'll be going for more sort of headline race pace runs. So I think that would have been a conscious effort by them. Yeah, well, also worth considering they ran the least number of kilometers of any team, which is never a good thing. They spent a lot of time in the garage. And let's remember, it is testing. You don't necessarily have to run in any kind of a legal specification whatsoever. And I would point out that year that McLaren showed up was faster than everyone until they realized they'd screwed the floor on it upside down. And then they fixed it and they were just about as slow as you thought they would be. Also, I remember Prost, I think it was back in 98 or 99, turned up to testing and utterly obliterated everybody. And it was purely a sponsorship run. They run the car in a completely legal spec and yeah. then blatantly admitted it afterwards. I was like, yeah, yeah, we wanted a sponsor. So we just cheated. Well, I don't know which of you three watched our last live stream with Matthew Carter, where he just flat out said we needed to help or wanted to help Charles Peak to get sponsors. He was our reserve driver, so we just put him out on the lowest fuel we could. Uh, we stripped down everything, uh, put on the softest tyres, and just grabbed the headlines so that we could do that. So it's a big opportunity for teams to say, yeah, we're here, we're here. And certainly, <laughs> again, I keep rolling around to Drive to Survive, which we will talk about. It definitely feels like a team who would especially you know, want to at least make the shareholders and their boss go, hey, oh, that looks like you are up at the top of the midfield now. Yeah, the bit of Drive to Survive that I saw strongly suggests that that there is a real incentive to keep Gene Haas happy so the team stays in Formula One. And it's been pointed out in the chat room, which I wanted to bring up, especially with any car with a Mercedes engine, uh, it was rumored, at least, that they were running lower power modes after Hamilton's issue in testing. So especially at the racing point, that's also something that you might want, might want to take into context is you decide where everyone truly belongs in the pecking order. 
Good. Enough circling the drain. Let's get into the teams. Are we going to be on the Red Bull hype train? Okay, I think one of the problems with trying to figure out what Red Bull are going to do is that they are definitely sneaky. They are definitely the biggest gamesmen in the in the paddock, Kyle. And I think if you are going to be able to tease out what's happening with any team, I think Red Bull is the least one that you're going to be able to read. Yeah, Christian Horn is quite good for his little subtle comments. Um I think Red Bull are looking extremely good. Um, there's lots of murmurings that everyone's really happy within the team. The only thing negative about them would be a bit of car instability, possibly caused by their over-extreme brake angle that they have. Verstappen had six spins across the six across the six days, so average to a spin a day. I believe he had three on the first day. So the car looks twitchy, but if you see his interview, he was like, nothing to worry about. They weren't driving a car. You don't know what you're going on about. No, the car's brilliant. So... He's exuding confidence. So I'm I'm very much, I've been on the Honda hype train for a couple of years and uh, it looks like Honda have done a very, very, very good job. Yeah, I would just add to that. They have a significantly rejiggered rear suspension. And so that might also be something that is causing these occasional issues. Uh, uh, Gemma, we here at Mr. Apex Podcast, we like to wear our fandom on our sleeves. We only have We only have one person who, who gets that wrong and is hated for it, and that is Chris Stevens, who unfortunately exudes an air of neutrality. So don't be scared about telling us who you're a fan of. As long as you don't come here and say, as a journalist, I need to be neutral, we'll be fine. Okay, well, as a journalist, I need to be neutral. (laughs) (laughs) However, having worked with Esteban um, Ocon, he's probably, um, yeah, probably my, got a bit of a soft spot for him because he was really, really good um, to work with. And Albon is just seems lovely as well. So anyone who's an underdog or anyone who's lovely usually gets my vote. So you just like like nice people? Genuinely, yeah. Okay. Well, that is, I mean, that is a change of pace for Missed Apex podcast, but we accept. So uh, how do you rate the chances of Albon in this Red Bull car? I mean, from what we've seen from testing more than the inter-team battle? I think... um, I think he's still probably got a lot to learn, you know, I, watching Drive to Survive again. Suddenly remembered that last year was his first season in F1. Um, so I think he's still got probably um, quite a bit to learn about the car, especially if they had had a couple of instability issues and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I think you need to remember again in testing, like you've said, the team is constantly tweaking settings, both you know, on and off the car, adding bits of aero, bits of wing, and um, all of those tiny little tweaks can change. And when these guys are driving on the limit, so um, again, I'm just not keen on reading too much into testing. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, you've worked with an F1 driver, which is something none none of the guys on the panel have done. So, how seriously do you think the drivers take it from a, a testing point of view? If Max Verstappen says no, this is a good car, does that does that mean he knows because he's been pushing? I think, um, yeah, it, again, as an engineer, you're always looking at data and you forget that actually there's a human in the, in the cockpit. And um, quite often you can get distracted by figures, but they're the guys who are actually feeling the car. They can give you some really good feedback on the dynamics, the behaviors, you know, m- you know, entry, mid, end of corner. Um, so you need to remember that actually they're the ones who are driving it. So no matter what the data is saying, um, 
you need them to be happy in it for their confidence. So if they've got a strong opinion about their car, um, then usually you need to listen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, what I've picked up and I'm an expert in nothing, but I rely on the kindness of people who want to tell me things is that they are looking really, really good in the high and medium speed corners. And I think this is a little bit of a departure, Matt. The, the general sense I'm getting is that Red Bull are losing out to Mercedes in sector three, which is traditionally Red Bull territory, which means that Red Bull are going to do well at Monaco. Uh, probably a good indication of mechanical grip. I'm saying words I don't understand. Uh, in fact, Carl's going to come in on this. Uh, but it looks like this season... Red Bull have come out of the box with a package that can get through the high speed and medium speed turns very well. Yeah, uh, the Mercedes being stronger in sector three um, in Barcelona could be to do with their somewhat trick front suspension that they have as well, which hasn't been mentioned too much, but they've offset the angle of their steering arm. So when you turn, it actually pulls and lowers the ride height, which is going to help mechanical grip. So um, they've already they've always traditionally been quite strong there. So um but Red Bull's looking mighty. Uh, every report I've read from somebody sitting trackside have said Red Bull looks unbelievable through the first few sections. Um, but Mercedes, yeah, I think they've got a little trick going on with the front suspension, which is going to help them in the low speed. So watch out for them at Monaco. Yeah, I hate to immediately burst that bubble, but that's I think you're talking referencing push rod on upright. And if you mm -hmm. are, I think all of the teams actually have it at this point. Ah, I, I just thought Mercedes had taken it more extreme than the others. Uh, they were the ones that everybody noticed. I think it was at Monaco last year. Um, but it's actually an old trick that has been resurrected um, due to the regulations and the way the regulations have been written. Okay, I'll get back in the box. Uh, I am going to jump out of the box and say more things that people said to me and that I wrote down because I would forget them. My brain is, is poor at this point. Uh, it didn't always used to be this poor, but... I am told that um, the, there's a lot of sandbagging going on at Red Bull. I'm sure there is all over the paddock, but specifically that Max Verstappen on his, his, his glory run, and I, I brought the testing times up. So uh, on day six, Max Verstappen came in with a 116.2, which I believe was the fastest of the, the second week of testing. He was on the C4s, which is not even the softest tyre, but he actually lifted off as they went over the line as well. So that is the extent the teams are going to, to say, oh, right, I I, I don't want to show what I'm going to do. But since we've got Gemma here, uh, everyone obviously will be familiar of, oh, this time was set on the C3, C4, C5, and there was a lot of talk that the C5 wasn't even appropriate for Barcelona. What what sort of time difference do you get between these tyres and why would they bother? What is there to gain from using a tyre that you would never use there in a race? Um, well, the delta lap times are um, what the Pirelli engineers are looking at all the time as well as the team engineers. Um, but obviously, you need to do a back-to-back -back quali sim um, to get a proper true delta time. No, speculate um, wildly. <laughs> so, um but yeah, so I think obviously you've got the hardest compounds raging right through to the softer compounds and it's all about temperature. Um, and if you, um, at Barcelona, it's winter, it's too cold. Usually, as I said, the temperatures this time were okay. Um, so what would you gain from running the hard compound? Because you need a lot of heat to get into that 
compound. Um, but that's why they would run the harder compounds um, for install laps, you know, all the aero rakes we've been seeing, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so again, it's difficult to normally they would focus their testing on the mid range of compounds um, so that they would learn the most because that's the most representative and also what they're going to use in May or June whenever um, the, the Spanish Grand Prix is uh, as well. Okay, so I'm wildly speculating. So you are going to give me some an expert tool for me to use in an amateur way. Okay, sorry, I'm sorry. That's part and parcel of, of how Mistapex works. Uh, so if I'm looking at Max Verstappen on the C4, which was not quite the softest, and uh, he was on the same time as Daniel Ricciardo on the C5, which was the softest, how much can I carve off, off of Max Verstappen's time? Not a clue. Okay, fair enough. I'm sorry. <laughs> Matt, Matt, you guess. I'm not an expert by any means, but if you looked at, say, last year's qualifying, at a minimum, you'd be like eh, three, four tenths, any up to about six or eight tenths. If you're looking at the sharp end of the field, that that would be around what they averaged in in race qualifying. So it wouldn't be unusual. And also Pirelli will give you a general idea of what the gaps are, but then those gaps never wind up being what they actually are Yeah, when they go to the racetrack. It's like that tire graphic where it just sort of vaguely goes down and has no no bearing on reality at all. Let's talk to Kyle, because I've missed Kyle. You've not been on for ages. And I (laughs) I bumped you for Catman one week, for which I apologize. And, And he was terrible. He was rubbish. He couldn't remember facts or anything. Um, oh, um, I need to take that back. I've just remembered he's a vet and my fat cat is not eating properly and I want to ask Catman for advice. So, yeah, but uh, he actually said that he fits contact lenses to cats. That was a that was amazing. That was yeah, worth it just for that. And uh, they do it to dogs as well, right? This is, this is a tangent, but I heard this great story about this greyhound who never won a single greyhound race, but then they, they figured out over the course of a couple of seasons, he kept finishing second. They were like, hang on a minute, how can this dog keep finishing second? And a vet came along and went, oh, yeah, no, I've seen this before, uh, and fitted the dog with contact lenses. Because it couldn't see the track ahead, it was just always following uh, a dog. So it would just follow the next fastest dog. And <laughs> well, there we go. And therefore always finish second. Uh, oh, right, Carl, that's Maybe. not what I was going to ask you about as well. What are we talking Honda about? Honda yeah. power engine, uh, power engine, power unit being quite reliable. Uh, it's looking good, and there's a lot of good noises coming out of Red Bull uh, if that Honda power unit is properly good and reliable, I think Red Bull are, are back in it f- for sure. Oh, I fully agree. I think Honda proved proved to everyone last year that they've made huge leaps and bounds. And most of their changes wasn't to do with um, reliability as such. They were bringing in the new engines to get new to get new specs in just purely for performance. And so they can run the engine harder. So Red Bull have been nothing but positive about Honda. And you know how ready they are to start slamming their power unit supplier when all is not well. So I think Honda are rubbing their hands with glee and McLaren are looking over rather jealously. And that's not an unimportant thing because it's not a given that Honda will continue in the sport, even even with the two teams that they have. Due to the expense, there's a lot of concern, I think, globally, looking at car sales, about, again, spending on motorsport, which is one of the reasons we're looking at the next set of regulations that are coming in next year as helping to make that continue to be worthwhile for the manufacturers and for the uh, engine manufacturers who are currently in the sport. Mm. Um, Also, with 
it's looking a bit a bit off subject. But it's looking a bit shaky for Renault as well. So I'd imagine the FIA are, are pretty much pleading with Honda to stay around. So they might be making them some favourable offers and a bit of leniency towards Honda, maybe to try to keep them to stay around. So in conclusion, with Red Bull, Max Verstappen seems happy. And if Max Verstappen isn't happy, I think he'll definitely tell you about it. Also, there was that that big reluctance, I think, from Alpha Tauri and Red Bull to use the softer tyres. And I'm assured that they were nearly constantly running with high fuel. Max Verstappen was lifting on his ultimate lap. They wanted to avoid showing us their full pace. I don't want to get too excited. I don't want to say my place on the hype train was completely justified, but it definitely is, and Red Bull are in the fight. There we go. Some wild speculation. Nobody remind me of this uh, when the season starts and Red Bull are are third, as they normally are. But next, uh, can that top three be uh, encroached upon? Kyle, racing point. Cheats. Yeah. They've just, all they've done is just, it's easy to copy an F1 car. Anyone could do it. You and me could just go and take a photo of the Mercedes and we could just build a car between us. We've got two engineers on this panel. Gemma knows the tyres. You can talk about two stroke engines and then Renee going to promise to do a two stroke <laughs> engine show. We could do it. I know, I know loads of things about engineering testing. I understand photon correlation spectroscopy. Damn. That would have been a better joke if I'd said it clearer. <laughs> Give me another run. Photon correlation spectroscopy. It was too ambitious. I was a fool. Uh, I mean, it's just not as simple as everyone's made out, is it? No, I think they actually need to be applauded for what they've done. It's simply not a case of taking photos and scaling them and and, and making it like for like. They have plagiarised the philosophy and and the concept, but you need to understand that concept, otherwise it's totally worthless. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to develop. So what they've actually done, if you think of it like that, is really, really impressive. They've looked at the photos, they've copied, they've copied the philosophy, they've understood the philosophy and the concept. That's the that's the key thing. They've put it on the track and it's worked. If you look quite closely, it's not exactly the same. There's little bits around the barge board that are different and the bits and little dimensions on the front wing, which are which are different. So all of this talk of protesting, I think, is utter nonsense. I think we should be applauding them for their reverse engineering skills. Yeah, and I think, um, like you say, they have to understand the engineering and the philosophies behind it. And Andrew Green at testing, um, at the first test, was saying that it was actually the biggest project or the biggest undertaking are absolutely huge for them that they've ever done um, in their recent F1 history. And that's all because they've had a lovely bit of funding from, you know, Mr. Stroll. So actually the finances has allowed them to do a completely new concept. And um, and I think Gunter Steiner was talking about, he had a very funny quote in the press conference about, um, well, you know, why would you not uh, copy a Mercedes when you, you know the real half of your car is Mercedes, just like they do with Ferrari? And he said something similar, like, um, "Yeah, well, if you had to, if we were to copy a Red Bull, we would be pretty stupid because we have a rear end of the Ferrari." So, uh, yeah, it's most important is that they understand the engineering, so they've copied it, but they still have to uh, actually make it work. Uh, who's that character you mentioned, Andrew Green? What's his role? Uh, technical director. Okay. Racing point. 
Who's who are other technical directors so I can get some equivalents? Uh, James Key at McLaren. Oh, okay. So Allison like, at right. Mercedes. Roger that. Lots of James. Good uh, trumpets. I'm going with uh, Colonel Mustard and Park for me with a handheld laser scanner. Oh, you know I was going to make that joke. I put it in the notes. Oh, I don't. I don't. I can't. I don't read. Not since Netflix came. Oh, right. Out, the no. books thing. I forget. Yeah. Sorry. I'll leave you a voice note. Reading takes so long, Matt. I know. No, I've heard people say that the resemblance to the W10 is quite, quite remarkable. They've obviously turned up with a car that is fast and works. I think the test of whether or not they truly understand it is going to be their development curve going forward. And vis-a-vis that, I found it interesting to see them complaining about having too much downforce, and that's making it difficult to manage the tires, especially given Pirelli have specified even higher pressures for this season because the cars are even faster than they were last season and we've not changed the tires. Wait, wait a minute. There's too much downforce for for the tires, but presumably that wouldn't have been the case if they'd have had that design last season? Well, Mercedes had that design last season. They had their design last season. So what I'm saying is with the new design, they don't have data in the same way that they did when they were evolving their design year over year. So the test of their understanding will be, can they get on top of it? Like, we'll know how much they copied versus how much they figured out, depending upon development and how they manage the tires. It's a totally different concept to them. So they have to figure out how to set it up. They don't have a clue. They don't know what toe angles to run. They don't know what cameras to run. They can have a very formulated guess, but they don't really know. So they're, they're not used to dealing with this much downforce, as they've said. So they're going to have to figure that out. And as you say before, the development curve, if it comes to mid-season and they dramatically start falling off, that will prove that they haven't understood the concept. But then if they don't understand it, why on earth would you go down that road in the first place? I think they've been very, very clever. I think they've been very, very clever, but I cannot help but think that they also have a helping hand. And I, I desperately tried to get out of Matthew Carter the exact terms of how that racing point got to look so much like last season's Mercedes. And th- there is that, that adamant uh, suggestion from Racing Point that they have just done their best to recreate the concepts. There is, there is no way in my mind, and I'm not accusing anyone of anything, I'm just saying how it looks to me, there is no way in my mind that they could have done that good a job without some direct help uh, from Mercedes. And they would not have embarked on, let's say someone had broken into that Brackley and stolen the br- the blueprints, they wouldn't have embarked on that journey if they didn't know that they could then develop it, if they didn't then know they could understand it and fault find with it. Because I'll tell you what, Carl, like you, you are a fault finding engineer or have been, certainly. It's all fine and well having a system that works, but knowing what to do when it goes wrong is, is more important than actually understanding the prime condition. So you look at Haas as very... Uh, very vividly captured in Drive to Survive, as soon as they started having problems with race pace and the rear overheating, they didn't seem to have a good understanding of why that was happening. So if Racing Point have put themselves in a position where they won't know how to fix problems throughout the year because they've just taken a concept they don't you know, have that deep knowledge of, actually, this isn't a genius move. That would be the dumbest thing in the world. Which, And I don't think they're dumb, which leads me to think there's an agreement. I look at it slightly differently. So I think that this just proves that they understand 
the concept. I'm convinced there's no collaboration from Mercedes to Racing Point. What? If they were rumbled, it what? would be bad for Mercedes. What have they got to gain from it? Next to nothing. No, wait a minute. So, I, I saw a smirk. I saw a smirk on Gemma Hatton's face. Are you? Could you offer an opinion or a perspective on this? I think there's a lot that a team can get, particularly with aerodynamic parts, from all the spy shots. I mean, you see all the media crews crowding around. You know, there's no... It, the, the whole Ferrari wall of uh, mechanics trying to block the car. It's because there's photographers around and actually the quality of shots you can get and the number of shots, it's thousands of images per session, per car that the teams get access to. And there's actually a lot you can tell from that when you've got educated eyes and engineers um, who are facing the same problems that they are. One of the things my flight to Italy allowed me was a chance to do some reading. And one of the books that I read was Adrian Newey's autobiography. And he talked about being on the grid and Ferrari screening him from looking at parts of the car. So he said he would always go and look at the parts of the car that he wasn't interested in and have one of his assistants look at the part of the car he was interested in. And the thing that struck me, though, and this is where I'm going, he says, but all the cars are left in park for May for an hour after the race is over. And he says, frankly, no one pays attention then. And he says, and I would always just go down at that point and look at anything I wanted to. There are laser scanners that will scan within a millimeter any surface you present to them accurately in three dimensions. So I'm just saying it's possible that Mercedes just, I don't know, left a door open somewhere, left someone alone in a room for five minutes. There are ways that Mercedes hands can be absolutely clean, but there's still technically that kind of collaboration that Kyle was talking about. Hmm. Yeah. The things that Mercedes can quite legally give to Racing Point um, are because they sell them the gearbox, the engine, and it's all bolted on. It's like rear suspension mounting points and stuff like that, which would all be pretty standard and par for a course with the customer package. Um, They used to do, Mercedes and McLaren used to do quite a lot with Force India. They used to make the gearboxes for them. So Force India used to pretty much buy the rear end of the car mechanically from, from Mercedes and McLaren. So I don't think there's any way that Mercedes have consciously made an effort to help Racing Point out copy the design. Because if that comes back onto them, they're just going to look bad and there will be repercussions. So why put yourself into that point in the first place? Well, yeah, no team would ever like just, you know, do something and then assume they wouldn't get caught because I guess they would know that, you know, if, if the FIA did rumble them, they could just come to some kind of private agreement and nobody, nobody would be any the wiser. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. It's going to come up. Uh, we'll talk about the, the attempted non-announcement that told so much. And uh, I may have an opinion or two on that because I felt like I detailed it out in pretty good, in pretty good real time. And, and Matt disagreed with me every step of the way. So we will go into it in painful detail. Uh, but I saved it till the end so that you can go, oh, he's off on one. I've heard enough. I can switch off now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, we will uh, first. Uh, Matt has been chomping at the bit to ask Gemma, uh, a question about the the 2020 tires and the whole the whole thing of them not changing them but first let's find out a little bit more about Gemma Gemma you are the deputy editor for race car engineering uh, which is a pretty big publication so we we are honored to have you on oh thank you yes um it's a magazine that covers all the whole spectrum of motorsport from F1 to rally to grassroots to um, the top tiers of racing. And um, I probably know more about race cars and engineering now because I get to speak to teams. I get to have interviews with technical directors and I'm not just sitting there stressing about working ranges of tyres. Okay, well, that's interesting. So people will speak to you now, I guess, uh, more than they did in the before time and you had a more narrow focus. So just tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a Pirelli engineer uh, at the interface to teams, I- I'm betting that teams like Haas, for example, might get pretty upset with their version of you, with their Gemma, and going, oh, these tyres aren't working. Uh, you've given us different tyres than you've given to Mana. Like, wh- what is that like as an experience? It's um, it's very political. So um, as the trackside engineer, you are usually the middle man or woman um, between the team and Pirelli. So Pirelli don't want to tell you too much because obviously you're talking to the teams, but the teams are trying to get as much information oh. and secrets out of you as possible. So there's like a so- Chinese wall even within Pirelli. Yeah, I mean, they have to keep their secrets, you know, safe. So, you know, um, their headquarters in Milan, that's where all the modelling goes on. All of the trackside engineers are actually based out of Digcot um, and are flown out to the races there. Um, So obviously you get a debrief, but we don't know the ins and outs of, you know, the tyre design, the materials, the chemistry, the compounds. Um, It's very much a practical understanding that we, we give and we help the teams along the way as well. Um, But I think one of the most interesting things about Pirelli is the fact that because it's a technical partner, um, they actually receive um, all the telemetry data or the relevant telemetry data from all the teams at the end of each day. They then, as their engineer, you churn through all this data for your team that gets spat out into a comparison report. So the team, they don't know the numbers or the figures, but they know where they are in relation to the rest of the paddock. And that's a really interesting um, thing that they don't normally get from other suppliers, but that's because Pirelli is a technical partnership. So that's probably one of the most benefits they get out of this Pirelli relationship. Wow. I have to say that this is fantastically interesting. It's brilliant to have you on, by the way, to have this insight. Um, I was just wondering, uh, do you get, so do they 
are you privy to quite a lot of information you're not allowed to say? Are you given a strict brief of you are allowed to tell them this, you are not allowed to tell them this, or do they try to keep you in the dark? Because I would imagine that it's probably beneficial to to have you privy to quite some sensitive information to help you do your job. So are you briefed on what you can and can't say? I think as the trackside engineers are very separate. So we are we have a pre-event meeting and we talk about, you know, delta lap times, what's happening with the tyres and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they fly in Italians from um, Milan, you know, Pirelli guys, the modelers who are actually designing and developing the tires. So they sit in and float amongst everyone and get all the feedback. And um, so we're not told not to say anything. And we're not told definitely say anything. Um, so we can, you know, um, figure certain stuff out um, without being told uh, to say it or not. But yeah, it's very difficult because you're sitting in a room with the entire trackside team, you know, the drivers and everything. And they're asking you what, um, you know, what what's going on with these tires. And you have to try and give a very uh, diplomatic view that everything's <laughs> fine. So yeah, it's quite a challenge, but Manor, bless them, you know, they were, they being such a small team, they needed as much help as they can from anyone. So they were usually quite nice to me. But uh, I think the guys who deal with the top teams have uh, more of a challenge with that. Oh, Matt, you can hear the passion uh, is is shared between you and Gemma of Tyres. I've had to turn the levels down on her microphone once the, the real tyre talk got going. So I think I'm going to dip out of the way for a second. I know you had some questions on the team's opinions of the tyres we're using in 2020. I do. But before I get to that, we have an interesting question from the chat room about the assignment of engineers. Has Pirelli randomly assigned engineers to team or do teams request certain trackside engineers once they have a working relationship with them? It rotates every two years. So they try and stop um, that relationship getting too close, both for Pirelli and the teams, because sporting equity obviously is is a major issue. Um, So yeah, it rotates every two years. Wow. There you go. Thank you. Matt, continue with the thing in the notes well, that I read. I made a special effort to actually read the notes after you gave me abuse. And now I read things for nothing. Yes, you did, because I'm sure everything I know is wrong. Uh, we had the real interesting situation with the teams refusing the 2020 tires this year. And we've already seen quotes about wanting to have good tires for next year from Lewis Hamilton. And as I mentioned earlier, Andy Green complaining about the very high pressures that Pirelli is running for the 2020 season. So maybe you could give us a little bit of insight into why Pirelli would want to run high pressures, how that might change how the tires are acting for the teams and what sort of problems it might create for them. Sure. So um, (laughs) every... Every year, you know, the teams are pushing. They are pushing for performance. So every year, every race, the downforce levels are increasing. And when the downforce levels increase, you've got a lot more load pushing on that tyre, squishing it into the track. So Pirelli, to stop their tyres from exploding, um, try and boost the pressures. If you increase the tire, if you increase the starting minimum starting pressures, which is what each team um, has to abide by, and then their running in pressures increase. And if you increase the tire pressure, it increases the stiffness of the sidewall and essentially makes them more robust. Um, But because of that, you can get kind of a ballooning effect where it reduces the contact patch um, and therefore the amount of grip. 
And they also increase the pressures during a race weekend. So based on all of the data from a Friday, Pirelli will make a decision that they're going to increase or decrease the front and rear uh, minimum starting pressures. So that was another challenge of being a Pirelli engineer is walking into a meeting room, usually late at night, once they've finished their setup and the mechanics have just finished pressurizing the tires, only to tell them that you needed to increase it by another PSI. So am I understanding correctly, that's kind of the equivalent of going, hey, congratulations, great work today, but it's no longer worth anything because we've changed it all? Yeah. And and the moment you you play with anything that changes that contact patch, you know, and the whole setup has been refined for hours because they're trying to maximize that contact patch. And then you march in and go, oh, ciao, by the way. Uh, So yeah, I think Pirelli are trying to avoid that situation, which is why they wanted to redesign another specification of tires for 2020. But because they were run in Austin and it was too cold to get a good, um, you know, good understanding from them, they then ran those tires in the Abu Dhabi test. And um, by that point, the increase in grip, if there was any reported, um, was not worth the change in the car um, by that late stage of the design process. So that's why they're keeping it the same for 2020. And that's because the 2020 tires were a little different width. And so they would have had to change some of the aerodynamics to accommodate that extra width. Yeah. And, and the profile, it was all the, to do with the rear. And um, then they would have had to adjust the, you know, the floor, the rear arrow, anything like that, which, you know, in December, um, these teams are impressive, but that's a lot of work to do. And you consider everything they have to do this year as well. Um, so, yeah, but a consequence of this is that obviously the performance has increased. They're running with the same Pirelli tires as last year. So what is the tool that Pirelli have? It's to increase the tire pressures. And they're running at 1.5 PSI more on the front, I think, for testing already. So um, they're going to be increasing the tire pressures throughout the season by a couple of PSI, I should imagine. So I'm I'm torn now between asking you about the Zanvoort tires. Yeah. And asking how it came to be, like, in my opinion, based on what I read last year, how they wound up getting the 2020 tires they got. But maybe you should ask about Zanvoort. Well, I'm torn, Matt. I'm torn between my genuine emotions of going, oh, dear God, this is everything I've feared for years and years, <laughs> and trying to be polite to our new panellist here. But I will let it stand. Fine, I will be the bigger man because I am curious about that banking. I don't even understand what the banking does. I don't understand why people think the banking is going to be cool or improve racing or the effect it's going to have on tyres? Yeah, it's all to do with lateral load. And, you know, um, there's a corner in China as well, in the Chinese Grand Prix. Um, The banking, it just, it can wear a different area of the tyre, but it's a huge amount of load into the tyre. And that's why Pirelli um, is a similar scenario. And again, they haven't raced on Zandvoort. They don't know too much about the track. So I think they're just, as a bit of a, a bit of a backup plan, they're trying to, they've changed the construction on the fronts just a bit to hopefully deal with with that banking some some more well i did it i think i survived a good chunk of tire talk there i hope this will be the first of many times we will get Gemma's insight into tires uh, we're going to finish up talking about ferrari uh, just let me do a bit of housekeeping on wednesday morning me and joe saywood you know joe uncle joe he's popping into the shed uh, and we're going to be talking about how he sees Uh, the beginning of the F1 season. He's not a massive fan of testing from a spectator point of view, but believe me, he has some fantastic insights. So that will be around Wednesday. 
11 a.m. We will stream it live. It will, of course, be ready for your Thursday morning commute, maybe even your Wednesday evening one. If you want to catch up with me and Matt in a bit more intimate detail, we record a podcast for our patrons. Uh, and you can get that by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex. You can remove the ads from our feed if you're a patron. You can join us in our Slack group community and you can get the extra content that me and Matt put out. Now, we have to be clear, it's not better content. We're not saving juicy insider information. The opposite of that. It's it's a worse product, but we will let ourselves go off on tangents. So if you're interested in, in Matt's holiday and how I've basically become my kid's PA, uh, then tune in for that. I will tell you that Treeface has uh, launched his new race suit sponsored by Half Fast Gaming. Gemma gave me a funny look. Treeface is my son. And I promised last week, but I forgot that I would explain where the name came from. Uh, he's nine now. When he was four, I felt incredibly guilty because in a water gun fight, I deployed some military training. I used good cover and I, I arranged an ambush for he, him and his friends. I, I leapt. I leapt from the bushes, completely surprised him and his friends. They turned around 180 and he ran fully and blindly into a tree and it left her the bark from the tree left horrific gashes across his face like big deep scars and if you see some of the scars on my body i overheal so the fear was he was going to have these big tree-shaped gashes across his face so instead of just accepting that i may have ruined my beautiful son forever we, we leaned into it and we said right we'll just make it a thing because it looks like he's going to have these scars on his face so we will call him tree face and he really loved it and eventually the scars did heal, but it stuck. So, Treeface, my son Oscar, has been racing today in his new Mist Apex and Half Fast Gaming uh, YouTube channel, Half Fast Gaming race suit, uh, doing very well down there, having a great time at Formula Fast. Thank you very much to Phil Stanley at Formula Fast for looking uh, looking out for us today. Me, Matt, no, not, not Matt, you're in America, you can't come. Sorry, Matt, left you out of another thing. Sorry, man. Uh, me, Kyle, Brad, and Alex Van Jean are going to go down to Formula Fast. We're going to do our next driver masterclass from there, uh, and we will record that live. And we might even get Treeface to come and tell you about some of his experiences as well. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, support us. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Here's where Matt gets uh, afraid and twitchy that we're going to get sued. Cheating's a bit of a loose term, isn't it, Matt? I mean, it's thrown around. When we say cheating uh, in an F1 sporting sphere, it is different to say, you know, doping in athletics. We're not saying that they are terrible human beings. We are saying that they have pushed the engineering sport to a point where it, it exceeds the rules. I think we're used to that. But then there come, there's like another stage where you exceed the rules, you didn't get caught or you did get caught, but then you kind of break the spirit of the rules. And that, I think, is is almost where we are, is it, with Ferrari and its mysterious engine performance that it found last season? And then suddenly we get what is frankly a bizarre FIA announcement that smacks to me of a legal obligation and nothing more. Well, if you uh, believe the words of Adrian Newey, there is no spirit of the regulations. There's only regulations. 
nonetheless, okay, but there, think, there, there is there is though, isn't there? Nonetheless, there is definitely getting caught and not getting caught and getting caught, but not being able to prove anything. And I'm going to just put it out there that this mystery announcement about the Ferrari in last year's power unit falls into that last category. And to me, the most immediate thing I could think of was the uh, Benetton launch control, where they found the software, but they couldn't prove Benetton was using it at the race. So it kind of became a thing of this, that, or the other. And I'm going to suggest that this is probably where we've wound up with the Ferrari case. Hmm. The announcement was incredibly strange, uh, very strange timing. Um, I think that could indicate that they were just about to be rumbled while they're being lenient on Ferrari. It's a bit like your boss at sort of 10 to 5 on a Friday afternoon going, by the way, you've got a... By the way, you got a pay cut. What was that? Oh, no, nothing. Have a good weekend. Bye. And then go away again. Um, it, it's a bit like the end of Catch Me If You Can. I think that this is just my impersonal wild speculation that Ferrari have been caught red-handed. They appear very good at being able to find loopholes in the regulations. Uh, but the FAA have chosen to use them to work with them. They're like, okay, we're not going to expose you. We won't penalize you, but tell us all of your tricks and how oh. to prevent them in the future. I, so I, I think there's a little bit of that going on. I mean, that is quite a niche reference, Kyle. The the film from 15 years ago with Leonardo DiCaprio of Catch Me If You Can, a film about Leo Leonardo DiCaprio playing a huckster who scams his way into getting like free perks on airlines. Uh, and then he becomes basically a white hat scammer. So t- teaching the government how to how to catch people like him a uh, Gemma obviously you are you know a proper journalist uh you know second in command of a popular publication are Ferrari cheats no because they <laughs> they're still gonna play with what they're still gonna be able to run with whatever they're running with and um, so if you look at it actually they've played it absolutely spot on they've done something that's given them extra performance it may not be in the spirit of the regulations but actually they're going to have helped you know the f1 and i think again that's another good thing of this new f1 sort of engineering team that we're seeing with the likes of ross braun pat simmons um you know they it's a different approach i wonder how this would have been dealt with you know if bernie and etc were were still in power so yeah yeah i I think they've been very, very clever. <laughs> they would have poured the fuel sample out. Oh, we've heard that. Who told us that? I believe it was, um, was it Carter? Oh, it was, or- it was, yeah, it was Matthew Carter being told the story by Bernie, I think, that they just they just went, oh, that sample, it doesn't comply. So they poured it out and carried on. Uh, right. So, Gemma, though, what you say that, that, that you know, that, that you imply that something has happened, what is it you think that they were doing? Because I, believe it or not, I have a theory. Okay. Well, I haven't I haven't looked into it too much. Um, but I think the general feeling of um burning oil in the combustion chamber. Um, so everyone thinks, you know, okay, great, you get more power. But actually, I think from my understanding, um, it's more about the additives that you can include in the oil that you can then burn in the combustion chamber, and that improves the knock limit of the engine. And that essentially means you can get more power. You're burning the air and fuel mixture a lot more efficiently. Now, how they're getting that oil in there, what additives, if they are using that, 
theory um, is all the technical details which F1 will now be learning. Um, but in terms of the actual um, philosophy, it's not really about maximizing power by burning oil. It's about improving the efficiency of combustion. Now then, right. So improving efficiency, that is that is key. So I've, I've heard so many different rumors and, and so many different lines of questioning. So, so uh, there, there's two. I think it's split between this oil burning and increased fuel flow. So if we concentrate on either one of those, they both ultimately end up in increased efficiency. So I'll turn to you, Carl, as the engine guy. Uh, my initial instinct on this was if you are able to deploy more fuel, either with higher fuel flow or combust more by the additives in the oil, and you're able to deploy that at the beginning of a straight, it's e- then it's easier to maintain speed than it is to gain it. That would make sense. Yeah. So they gain most of the gains. It's like when they're deploying the ERS is in, yeah, sort of the second to mid phase of the acceleration zone up straight. And once you get to sort of VMAX, then just uh, sort wait, of- Wait, what? Who? Uh, maximum velocity VMAX when you- oh, Yeah, you, we, we all knew that. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> when you get to- <laughs> So it's easier to maintain uh, that speed once you get it than it is. Uh, but, but a report hmm. I uh, caught hold of somewhere was that it was in fact so efficient- that they were able to also underfuel, which we're trying to piece this puzzle together from little bits. But that kind of then does, does that does that uh, tie in with Abu Dhabi? Does anyone have any mm. insight in that where they got fined fifty thousand euros? You've you've ummed there, Carl. So I'm going to you for for incorrectly reporting the weight, and people will say, "Oh, it's just a mistake." You don't make a mistake like that. Like that had to have something to do with this. It wasn't an insignificant amount. I can't remember the actual um, the actual numbers, but wasn't it like ten kilos or to at least it? Oh it wow, was that's a lot. Yeah, an insignificant amount. I can't. Don't quote me on the numbers. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But I remember when yeah. I saw it, and I was like, "Wow, okay, this adds a lot of fuel to the fire." Pun very much intended. <laughs> so if they've underfueled, or or they they can underfuel because they're doing this thing. Uh, tell you what, Matt, if they then turn up and declare because they have to declare a fuel load if they declare how much less fuel they're putting in than the other teams that is that's a big problem and that would arouse suspicion so then it's more understandable that they were declaring what would be a typical rate and this is no allegedly is required here by the way because they got caught and charged so if they had reported a typical weight uh, sorry a, a less than typical weight it would have aroused suspicion so yeah, so they just they went okay. Well, we probably would do this amount. There we go. Now it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm I'm still confused by the whole episode because they had already been running this engine supposedly with this. Uh, what shall we call it? What shall we call it? A uh, advantage that may or may that is incredibly gray. Sounds Almost like you're black. saying cheating to me, honestly, Matt. That's ah, a great be. power. Yeah, great we could power. use that word, but then I don't want to get sued. Uh, but the discrepancy um, of the fuel, like the chat room is telling me it was five kilograms, which doesn't sound that huge to me. And it would have been of a pattern that the FI would have already seen. So the advantage of suddenly declaring more... I don't know. I haven't had a chance no, no. to think about it enough okay. to form an I don't, I don't think they were suddenly declaring more. I think it, they were habitually declaring more. I, I think this may be a distraction ah. file, but yeah. I think that that check was put in, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is just my understanding, but I think that 
check and declaring your fuel levels put in to try to prevent teams from circumnavigating the fuel flow regulations and they're not checked every single time i don't believe it was a random check that they happened to do on leclerc's car and they found an irregularity so who's to say how long this has been going on for please click correct me if i'm wrong okay so we are we are running low on time uh with drive to survive stuff what i suggest is uh, we do go ahead and we just have that episode where we gather around the fireplace and we all say what we thought about this season's Drive to Survive. Uh, I have only got through three episodes. All I'd say is I I understand that swearing is part of a sport and I get it. I'm not objecting to that at all. But as a parent of a nine-year-old, I had to make a decision. You know, this, this program, fantastically well shot, uh, a really great, uh, series is made for new fans and Treeface is a new fan and I wanted him to see it but after the the Steiner you know F F and F F F I'm like oh can I can I do it so I, I know a lot of you attend our events whatever you do no one tell my wife that I have let him watch three episodes of it and no one explain to my wife that how bad that is so I've had to just make that decision and go him learning about F1 outweighs the potential you know, harm or whatever. So I've said to him, it's okay, just don't copy it. You're not a Formula One manager. It's not big or clever, right? And I'll say my one criticism of it so far, apart from the fake commentary, obviously, is when Gunter Steiner sits down with his his partner and and she just apparently impromptu says, oh, please tell me about the intricacies of your of your work and your day and, and how you're, but no, no one's ever done that. No, no partner does that at the dinner table. Now, I don't ask my wife about pianos or music or sing songs. But I have to say, other than all those things, it's been very entertaining. So we will do a deep dive, medium deep dive breakdown of that. Uh, the Ferrari thing for me is reasonably cut and, cut and dry. We don't know the exact details of how they did it. But here's the timeline. In the summer of 2019, they suddenly got a massive advantage in qualifying and they were able to put themselves up ahead of the Mercedes and thank goodness they did because we got treated to a fantastic spectacle between a a rising star in the form of Charles Leclerc fending off uh, the five-time world champion at the time and they maintained that advantage where they could get ahead and Mercedes had to catch up during the race They, they couldn't keep it up perhaps over a race distance but they definitely got that power advantage. Oh, a good theory I've heard is that uh, with the fuel flow, uh, not all fuel flow sensors have the exact same tolerance. So they were able to buy up a big bunch of them, test them, and then cherry pick the ones that had the lowest tolerances, which is frankly genius. Massive hats off to Ferrari if that's what they did. The other thing is that perhaps they were pooling it in a, in a similar fashion to Red Bull. But we get to Mexico. Uh, and more clear-cut, we get to Austin, and that advantage disappears, and the FIA clamp uh, a second sensor, or they talk about having a second sensor that the teams can't touch. The other teams are all throwing uh, suggestions for the FIA to issue technical directives, and at that point, uh, in fact, it was around Brazil uh, as well, the, the advantage had been lost in that whole leg of races, and Ferrari suddenly declared that 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 was the time that they were going to start running a low downforce philosophy. Oh, no, 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 no. It's nothing to do with the fuel or the additives at all, Matt. No, we've suddenly and inexplicably changed our season-long 
philosophy to go from low drag, high speed to high downforce, which t- teams are known for suddenly changing their aero philosophy mid-season. So, Matt, I know we argued about it all season and you put across great points, but you have to admit, I called that race by race. Well, yeah, you did, except for the they never actually entirely got caught, which I think our wonderful guest Gemma made that point most That's exquisitely. true. Fair enough. Hey, I'm sure this will crop up as new bits of evidence come to light. But what I promise you is we are not going to beat this over the head to the extent that we have done over the course of the 2019 season and uh, and we have done on this episode. I, I sort of consider this case closed. Uh, we're going to get some more time to talk about things before the season starts. Uh, if the season starts, we don't know. We don't know. Be mindful. There's a lot of scaremongering out there, isn't there, Kyle? Yeah, and news broke just before we went on air that I know it's not Formula One, but um, I like to get my MotoGP comment in oh, if I can. Um, the first round of the MotoGP World Championship at Qatar in two weeks has now just been cancelled because there is um, Qatar have placed a strict blanket ban travel restrictions on people from Italy. Now, the the, the risk of the races or Ferrari and Alpha Tauri not being allowed to turn up is now becoming very, very real and it's becoming more real by by the day. So obviously if one or two teams cannot turn up, Pirelli obviously come a lot of people come from Italy. This is uh, is now a very, very real chance that um the whole sort of first few races of the season are are in jeopardy. I'm actually thinking of Formula E where uh one of the teams, I think it was Neo, sent their team personnel over early to Mexico. For that very reason, so that they would be able to quarantine and clear quarantine and they could be trackside without an issue. So I imagine there will be some discussions about that in the F- F1 boardroom as things move forward. Uh, and we are not doctors. We are not politicians. We are not community leaders. However, I do have this microphone and uh, by the power invested in the, the fact that it is hitting your ears, I do feel compelled to say that there's a lot of people out there who are going, oh, it's just the flu. Oh, it's, why is everyone panicking? It's just the flu. Well, do you know what? It, it might turn out to be fine. It might turn out to be nothing to worry about. But there isn't the information out there for people to be categorically saying that. So if the celebrities that you follow on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, I think I said that right, and Vine, if that's still real, if those celebrities... Are, are coming out and making blanket statements that there's nothing to worry about. Definitely. They might end up being right, but they'll be right for the wrong reasons. You know, if they're, they're sitting there shouting, oh, we used to have the uh, the Spanish flu. Yeah, we had, we had five Spanish flus and there was wars and I got stabbed and we survived those. Nothing to worry about. Right? They, those people are speaking with a completely unearned authority. There is nothing wrong with keeping an eye on how things develop using this as an opportunity to wash your hands, don't touch your face, and just practice general good hygiene. All I'm saying is keep your eyes open. Governments aren't taking these measures for no reason. Uh, I don't want to panic monger in any way. And there are some wild conspiracy theories. I'm just saying, keep an eye on it. That's all. Went a bit uh, crime watch then, didn't it, at the end? Look after yourselves and each other. If you have been affected by any of the issues said, please call this number at the bottom of the screen. And thanks for joining us for this very special episode of Missed Apex Podcast. (laughs) Follow my panel, Matt Trumpets, at MattPT. 
55, but he doesn't really want you to follow him. He has no, he has nothing to gain from that. He has things to gain if you follow Mrs. Trumpets at A. Weaver Writes because she sells books. And if you buy those books, it furthers Matt's dream of not working and owning a Ferrari one day. They are romantic books. They are, they're mucky. They're mucky books, Matt. But, but still, if you like that kind of thing, buy them from Amanda Weaver at A. Weaver Writes. Kyle Power has recently joined Twitter because I bullied him. He's joined a whole social media platform out of peer pressure at Kyle Power F1. I, I might change that. I It's not worthy. I panicked under all of the bullying <laughs> pressure to, to yeah, peer pressure to actually join something I really didn't want to. But yeah, and can I we will con- post more, I promise. And can we confirm that Kyle Power is a real name and it's not like, you know, like Max Danger? It's an absolute real name doesn't seem like guaranteed did you uh, ever... i thought it was going to be great in school that could never go against me did but you the gain... power rangers came out unbelievable just my no. luck oh did, did teachers <laughs> believe you when you said my name's power no. uh, i had one supply teacher once who um who didn't believe me uh, we had to read our names out to the register and i did actually get sent out to explain myself to the headmaster which i did with pleasure mm-hmm. i'm still on the fence it could be a lie follow kyle at kyle power f1 and a new panelist, uh, Gemma Hatton. You can follow Gemma at Gem underscore tech. It's got an underscore in it though, Gemma. I'm sorry. It's just like, it is underscore happens when you just do a space and it just replaces it with an underscore. It's- I wasn't very imaginative that day and I can only apologize, but what? I do run the race car engineering account at race car engineer. So, uh, yeah, follow that one as well. <laughs> race car engineer uh, tell us a little bit more about that publication uh, do i buy you on the shelves or do i get you in an online pdf like joe in fact you think joe saywood's publication is handwritten and sent out by carrier pigeon um so we're in wh smith's and um so you can buy us off the shelves but we also have uh, digital subscriptions i think subscriptions is what you get more for your money so if you go to www.racecarengineering.com um just buy our magazine and you can buy back issues as well so if there's something that you really want to geek out over uh yeah we, we, it's all there for you well done i always get the amount of w's wrong i i, I just go like <laughs> w dot or ww dot in the end I, I tend to just abandon it and say you can find all our stuff at mistapexpodcast.com. I have put future shows on there so you can find it there. Follow me. I'm the best one at Spanners Ready or the show at mistapexf one And oh, look at the panel and the chat room seeing if I'm going to forget about. Comment of the week. No, I never forget about comment of the week because this is where we re- reward the insightful and funny comments from our fantastic chat room. Uh, you can join us live by searching for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube, and you can chat along like Keith, uh, Amini, DJ, Alexander, Edjama, Pete, Logan, Daniel, Antoine. It's scrolling too fast. But of those fantastic scrolly, scrolly people, Matt, who have made comments that wow. are worthy? I haven't finished my sentence. You've interrupted. It's a faux pas. It was a dramatic pause. Who has made comments that are worthy of nomination? For comment of the week. Okay, I'll finish. I think he died. No, I was just making sure we were really done. Uh, first of all, I need to bring up the fact that our new panelist is getting lots of positive, positive comments in the chat room. Ah, that'll wear off. It's novelty value. You'll get as much flack as the rest of us soon enough. 
And second of all, as much as I personally find it pleasing, I need to tell Colin Neff, wish I could stay, but I wanted to say I can't wait to hear the podcast. Cheers. And Matt, you look beautiful today. Stop it. And Vermins, Matt always looks beautiful. We should call it Miss Trumpets every week Matt isn't on. Although these are lovely comments, technically they are no longer eligible. No, 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 not technically. I've stamped down upon it and I might even block or mute people. (sighs) He'll never do that. All right. So the actual, the actual real comment of the week, and we have many, starts all the way up at the top with Udai Vayer Kapoor saying, at Matt Trumpets, Ragsdale. He is also raising you fam is his own, referring to you taking over tech time and the Carter show. Oh, man. Right. Okay. So all the stupid people were really happy with me taking over tech time because they were like, whoa, Spanners knows nothing like us and asks all the stupid questions. But I will defend you, Matt the overall technical quality and technical knowledge was reduced simply because I couldn't follow it as well as you could. So a range of those things is perfect. Fair, fair. Uh, Brad Newmeyer's in. Kyle Power was going to wear his Reno t-shirt, but it was too slow to get in the laundry this week. We'll get, oh. we'll get to Reno, I'm All sure. All right, that's a good reaction from Gemma. Gemma, you're, you're going to be our judge this week, so your reaction will determine who wins. Sorry to put that pressure on you. I hammer Matt Trumpets getting to talk to a former Pirelli engineer is like Spanners getting to talk to Rhodes quality chief. Yeah, I know. I know. And I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad for you, Matt. Uh, and I cannot wait to listen back and see if any of it was interesting. I completely zoned out. It was fascinating. Um, Darren Johnson, Hosner being funded by Gunther Steiner's swear jar, which I think is valid, valid, valid. Okay. But again, um, I must emphasize nobody tell Mrs. Spanners how horrifying that show is or that I have let Treeface watch loads of it. Uh, Stuart Arkari is in with two. Treeface, dad, what's a vanker? Yep, yep. We've had a few awkward questions. Yeah, and thank you very much to Daniel Ricciardo uh, dropping (laughs) dropping that particular bomb at the beginning of episode three. And my personal favorite, Stuart Arkari, tire engineer. I wouldn't like to guess. Matt, hold my beer. Matt. well done. And, There's more. Jesus. Uh, uh, no, I, mean, I, th- I think I'd rather I think, have another tire segment. To be honest, this has gone on that yeah. long. Is is that that long? Okay, fair enough. Um, Assetto Drifter. Good thing sim races are the safest persons because they don't go outside. And Stuart Neal, Spanners and Trumpets, the new tire war. But I gotta say, based on reaction, it's gonna have to be Stuart Arcari, tire engineer. I wouldn't like to guess. Matt, hold my beer. Comment of the week. Well done, Stuart, for winning the coveted comment of the week title. Feel free to add that to your Twitter bio. Thank you to the panelists, Matt, Kyle, Gemma. I've been Richard Spanners. Ready? I'll see you again on Wednesday. And if you are thinking of joining us in the live stream, we do normally go for Sunday, 8 p.m. UK time. I'm sorry, I lack the mathematical acumen to convert time for everyone. So UK time, we are currently on uh, GM, what, which one are you on, Kyle? Are we on GMT or BST? W- which one? GMT, is it not? Oh, we're back on GMT. Good. Glory days. Oh, uh, no, no. BST is the good one because it's sunny. Good. Wherever I see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Strict hour, one hour time limit. Enforced stringently. Constant losing battle, Matt. It is. Um, I don't know if Gemma has time, but there was a question that came up in the chat room. 
probably fine. I guess the show's ended. Feel no it's, obligation to listen on. No, well, I, like I said, the tire thing had passed, so I just told them I would try and sneak it in at the end of the show if there was time. So okay, if so you have to go, but you may you, go. If you want to go, then just 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 go yeah. to patreon.com forward slash missed apex sign up as a patron then go that that's all you need to do you don't need to be here at all uh but they asked if the 18 inch tires will help cure some of the rigidity issues of the 13 inch tires and what some possible disadvantages of the 18 inch tire and by that i assume they mean wheel would be um wow okay um i have to re-engage my brain for that one um i think the one of the the things that we sort of forget about the 18 inch tires are so focused on um 18 inch versus 13 inch actually it's also the profile of the tire that's changing as well and because that's a lot um thinner essentially the tire makes up a huge part of the suspension so i'd say probably the biggest challenge and when asking the technical directors the biggest challenge for them is they're now having to put more of that suspension into the actual suspension because there's less tire to play with because it's a lower profile for 2021 okay tell me that answered the whole question matt yes. we we have to go to bed at some point yes that answered the whole okay, question okay good fine i can play, i can press stop on the what's it thank you here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.